which is my father, who's joining us from what looks like an operating room. Sure. <laughs> um, I don't want to violate any HIPAA laws, so I'll just speak with Eric Remes. One of my father's patients is a great, very great rabbi. And his father has a teaching. Uh, he explains the mysterious opening lines of our parsha. I don't have a chumash here, someone could pass me some letters. Letters are very important to me. What do you have except for the letters? Vayhi b'shalach parah sa'am. Vayhi b'shalach parah sa'am. Vayhi, Chazal tell us, I think we just finished Maseches Megillah. Just finished Maseches Megillah, the Jewish people are finishing, making a siyam on Maseches Megillah. Vayhi is a lesson of tsar, is a lesson of pain. Vahaya is a lesson of simcha, Vayhi is a lesson of, of pain. This is not a moment of pain. This is a moment of great joy. We've been waiting for 210 years for power to finally send the people. And in the more immediate sense, over and over again, Paro decides, I'm going to let them go. I'm not going to let them go. I'm going to let them go. I'm not going to let them go. So it's funny to hear the words Vayhi at the beginning of this statement. Now the Pashtas is that of course Vayhi, and it was when Paro was in the middle of sending out the people that he started chasing after them, which explains the Vayhi, that's the Pashtas. But one of the tzaddikim of the previous generation, with all due respect to the Hippolas, was Rav Gedal Yashor. Rav Gedal Yashor said, Rav Gedal Yashor writes in the Sefer Or Gedal or his son Rav Avram Shor wrote in his father's name, that Vayhi b'shalach paro asa'am is telling us that we know the whole concept of levia, of escorting somebody. When a guest comes to your house and you escort them out, so Chazal tell us that in that horrific event where Shalom Odamizai Rahman Latsana, a human body is found in between two cities and we're not sure which city it came from. So the Zikainim of the city have to go and they have to say, we did not shed this blood. And they do a peculiar type of ritual called the, called the Egla Rufa, where they take a calf down into a valley and this strange ritual takes place where we try to say that it's not our fault that this person was killed. Now, obviously, nobody thinks that the Zikainim killed this person, but as Chazal explained, that maybe... The problem is that we, the elders of the city, did not create an environment where people escort their guests out of their house. And so this person looking like a victim, leaving the house kind of not with their head up high, not feeling like they were really welcome or that anybody cares that they're leaving, was an easy target. And so we share some sense of responsibility that these highway robbers took advantage of this poor soul because we didn't escort this person, because had it, had it been that we escorted this person, had we done the mitzvah of escorting this person, so then it would have been ki'ilu, he would be walking with the strength, as El Chazal speak, he would be walking with the strength of all the people who escorted him out. The whole Indian of Malav Malka by Motzei Shabbos is that the Shabbos Malkasa shouldn't just leave and shouldn't just feel like, oh, Shabbos is over, just, you know, a 
okay, time to go out to town. But that the Shabbos Malkus should feel that somebody cares to escort her out. And so if that's Bikdusha, when we escort somebody out, we ki'ilu, even if we just go those four amos, we take those four steps with them, they take us with them, and they're able to walk with a certain sense of pride and a certain sense of belonging. So if that's in Kedusha, then Paro was doing the opposite, says Rudayashur. Paro was saying, you could take the Jews out of Mitzrayim, but I'm not going to be so quick to let Mitzrayim leave the Jews. Means that Paro escorted the Jewish people in the hopes that even as the Jewish people are leaving the geographical space of Mitzrayim, they would still carry Mitzrayim in their hearts. They would still carry their servitude in their hearts. What's remarkable, just this week, I was studying together with one of the Talmudim, the Zevi Lawrence. We were looking at these Pesukim. And what's remarkable is that Paro is referred to as Paro, as Paro, as Paro. It's called Paro the whole way through. Until finally, once the Jewish people leave Mitzrayim, so the Pasuk says, Vayomer Paro levnei Yisrael, nevuchim heim be'eretz, the Jewish people, Paro is saying the Jewish people are confused. Vechazakti has leave Paro, it's all Paro, everything is Paro. Unbelievable thing happens though, when the Jewish people finally leave the borders of Mitzrayim, those geographical space of Egypt, for the first time, here in Parshat Peshalach, Vayugad lemelech Mitzrayim. And it was told to the Melech Mitzrayim. Now, calling Paro the Melech Mitzrayim, it's such a deep thing. Paro is being called Melech Mitzrayim because for the first time we could speak about him as in third person. He's Melech Mitzrayim. Paro, the understanding of Paro is that this is somebody who has control over me. My father points out that the Miloy of Paro is Mitzrayim. That if you spell Paro in full, the full, you spell out Pei, you know, Resh, Ayin, Hey. So it's, it's the full Miloy of Paro is Mitzrayim. That when, when Am Yisrael is leaving Mitzrayim, so finally, he's not Paro anymore as like a, a status that we call him Paro, which is like the name of his rulership over us. You can imagine the Jews for 210 years talking about, he came home, how was it? Oh, Paro, that Paro, he's, you know, he's killing us. He's making us do all this work and he's, he has us eating up the propaganda and we're thinking horribly of ourselves. And, and finally, the Jewish people leave Mitzrayim and for the first time, they could talk about him as Melech Mitzrayim. He's not my Melech, he's Melech Mitzrayim. I'm something independent of this paro. And Am Yisrael thinks for a minute that they've freed themselves, they've unfettered themselves from the chains, the psychological torment of this person called paro. And for the first time, Vayugad lemelech Mitzrayim. It was told to the Melech Mitzrayim that the Jewish people have left. They're gone. Vayugad lemelech Mitzrayim, ki ha'am. So paro gathers all of his men together and he chases after the Jewish people. And then the Torah says something very, very strange. Ve'chazek Hashem as lev paro. And Hashem strengthens the heart of paro, back to paro. In other words, paro says, I'm not going to let them stop seeing me as paro. I'm going to continue as paro. I'm going to exercise my authority over them as paro. Ve'chazek Hashem as lev paro, melech mitzrayim. 
In other words, there's a struggle here between Paro, who's accepting that, okay, Am Yisrael is leaving, but I'm going to take, I'm going to make sure that they take me with them. Vayihi b'shalach Paro sa'am, that Paro says, I'm going to escort them out so that even though the Jewish people leave Mitzrayim, Mitzrayim isn't leaving the Jewish people so fast. V'yachazek Hashem eslev Paro, melech Mitzrayim, v'yirdov achre b'nei Yisrael, but what? U'v'nei Yisrael yotzim b'yad ramah. But the Jewish people are going out with a Yad Ramah. Yad Ramah means an outstretched hand with a Yad Ramah, with an up, upright hand. The Jewish people are walking out, you know, Martin Luther King style, you know, with their hands up in the air and with their backs up straight and saying, we're not going to run away from you. We're not, we're not scared of you anymore. You have no authority over us. You're Melech Mitzrayim. And Paro says, no, I'm Paro Melech Mitzrayim. I'm going to come at you with a little bit of this until finally... And the Pasuk says, Uparo hikriv. And Paro came close to the Jewish people. And the Jewish people raised up their eyes. As much as the Jewish people wanted to leave Mitzrayim, and they felt that we've broken free of this place of Mitzrayim, as soon as they saw their tormentor, as soon as they saw their abuser and they looked him in the eyes, all of a sudden they reverted to, this is Paro. And so, it means that it's not so easy for a person to leave Mitzrayim. Mitzrayim doesn't, it's nothing, nothing. Mitzrayim, the Alter Rebbe Lubavitch used to say, he has in the, in the Shulchan Archarav, as opposed to the Nusach that we're all familiar with from the Haggadah Shal Pesach, Bechol Dor Vador. Every generation a person is Chayav, Lira Sasat Mokilu, Hu Yotzim Mitzrayim. The Alter Rebbe in the Shulchan Archarav wrote, Bechol yom v'yom. Every single day a person needs to see themselves as if they're leaving Mitzrayim. And so there's not a single person in this room, there's not a single person who's joining us from afar, who doesn't have a Mitzrayim that they're trying to leave. And even in those moments where we break free from those, those places of Mitzrayim, those feelings of Mitzrayim, those chains of Mitzrayim, so a person can leave that behind, can make the changes, can find a friend, a rebbe, a confidant, a spouse, a sibling, who they can confide in and they can say, I need to free myself from this place. And to begin to free themselves from that place, whatever the particular call, every person knowing exactly what it is. And yet you feel that somewhere inside of you, you're still on the level, since we quoted the Baal you're still on the level of halavai, halavai. You're still on the level of tzaddik viralo. I'm a tzaddik. I've, I've freed myself from, from Mitzrayim. I've entered into a, a place of expansiveness. But there's still rally. There's still something that's inside of me that's eating at me. And I need to learn how to free myself from that, how to melt that last vestige of ra which is stuck inside of me, which somehow escorted me out. And so Hashem tells the Jewish people, through this, Indian of Kriyas Yamsuf, Hashem teaches us the secret of how a person can cut off this Levia, this escort of Paro who's coming to take us and attempting to travel together with us in the Midbar. So Alter Rebbe says, these are all in different places, the Alter Rebbe says, In a very important mimer, Chazal tell us that when the Yam split, when the Kriyas Yamsuf happened and the water split, 
So Chazal have this imagery that they describe that the water everywhere in the world split. You had a cup of water on the table like this, just as the Yamsuf was splitting, so you would be sitting somewhere in, uh, you know, in some other part of the world, and by Kriyas Yamsuf, all of a sudden your water split in half. You were taking a bath, you know, <laughs> you were taking a bath somewhere, and all of a sudden the water just split to the two sides, and you're sitting there in the tub, and you're like, what? What is going on? When the, when the Gemara says, when the Pesukim say, when the Pesukim say that the nations of the world, you know, say, they come to, to Amisel and they say, we heard about what happened in Mitzrayim, so Chazal say, what they heard about, they heard a little bit about the Makos. The Makos didn't happen universally, but when the water split, all water all over the world split. And it revealed that there was something beneath the surface of the water. <coughs> so the Alter Rebbe writes in a Mimer, in Mimer Torah, there's no water except Torah. Torah is also compared to water. And the water itself split. <coughs> it means that Hashem revealed by Kriyas Yamsuf, Hashem revealed by Kriyas Yamsuf that the Torah, which has a surface level, Ein Ma'amil Torah, has inside of it something that if a person is able to enter into that deeper part of the water, the deepest part of the water, so then they'll have access to that thing which will cleanse them of the piece of paro which is hanging on, which is grasping on for dear life. And saying, I need to... Because Paro understands that if I can't be part of the Jewish people, even in, in the, the reason that Ra wants and seeks to join up with the Jewish people is because they know that the Jewish people are eternal. So Paro wants to have a piece of the Jewish people. He wants to come inside and to connect himself to the heart of the Jewish person, even if they're able to leave Egypt, but I want to be in part in that, but not in a good way. So it happens to be that in the Zohar Kadosh, those who swim deep in the water, there are those who travel on the surface of the water. Rabbi Gamliel, for example. So the Gemara says by Rabbi Gamliel that he was traveling on a ship. He was traveling on a certain ship. It talks about traveling on a certain ship. When, a, when, a, when a, one of the big Tanoim or the Amoraim would, would leave the world, they would say, woe unto the world that lost the captain of the ship. But in the Zohar Kadosh, those who, those who swim deep in the water, are called Nuneyam, called the fish of the ocean. Like my father once wrote in the cover of one of my svarim, he said, don't be afraid of the deep end, I taught you how to swim. Now it's true, my father did teach me how to swim, literally. But I think what he meant by that also is, don't be afraid of the deep end. That there's parts of Torah that are so deep that there's reason to be afraid. But if you have a good swim instructor and they teach you how to swim, a person who goes deep into that water is called Nunayam, it's called the fish of the sea. In fact, the student of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, who was responsible, who was the scribe for writing down the Zohar, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai didn't write anything down himself, just like the Basham didn't write himself, and just like the Arizal didn't write himself, and just like Rabbi Nachman didn't write himself. So that one of the students who wrote down the Zohar, Kadosh, who was the scribe, who was the, the, the pen, so to speak, of Rabbi Shimon, was named Rev Hamnuna, of, of Nunayam, a fish. Because the deeper secrets of the Torah are like the deep waters that you don't just go on top like a, like a, like a boat, but you go deep into the water. When you go deep into the water, you go deep into that pnimi place of Torah, it heals you not only from taking you out of Mitzrayim, 
Because the Torah on the surface will tell you, here's what you ought to do. Here's how you should live your life. But if a person wants to transform themselves into someone who's attracted to that and who's shed from themselves the skin of the snake and is able to enter into the space where they're tzaddik v'tovlo, where they're tzaddik, and it feels good to be a tzaddik. I'm not fighting all the time to be a tzaddik. So the only way to do that is to enter into the water. And so what does the Pasuk say? It says that Hashem turned the water into dry land. It means that Hashem took the water, the depths of the yam, and turned it into dry land. It means that He created a pathway so that there would be the possibility of one day the Jewish people being able to walk. Ke'ilu, they're walking on dry land in the place which is supposed to be the deepest place. That one day, as the tzaddikim from Chabad used to say, that there will come a time when Jews will be able to walk in the street and this happens every once in a while, and I always smile to myself when it's happening, where two Jews are walking in the street, where they're walking, you know, sometimes one of the guys is walking, one of the chevers walking out of the old city together with me, and we're walking, and we're, it's after one of the shirim, or it's, you know, and, and we're talking about uh, very deep things. And we're just walking through the marketplace, we're walking through the, through the streets, and there's people who are collecting garbage, and there's people who are, and we're speaking about the deepest things in the world. That's called... That's called walking on dry land with a firm, you're able to walk firmly and not feel like you, there's, you're in a, a state of sakana for saying such deep things. But your mom is in the lev hayam, you're in the middle of the, of the water. And so vayi b'shalach paros, am paros coming to the Jewish people and he's saying, I'm, I'm paros still. And the Jewish people are saying, you're not, you're melech mitzrayim. But you see that there's this moment where the Jewish people are like, paro melech mitzrayim. They see paro, they start to be afraid once again. They... They don't know how they're going to ever get through this. And so Hashem says, let me walk you through. Let me walk you through the Yamsaf. There's a Tosfos in Mesechus Erechim that points out, based on a diok in the Lashon of the Gemara there, Tosfos points out, and there's even a little diagram in the, there's a little diagram in the Gemara. Tosfos point out that what, if you read the Pesukim carefully, you'll see that when Am Yisrael entered into the Yam, they did like a horseshoe. See, we normally think, and because we've seen too many movies or other depictions of, of Chris Yamsev, we think that the sea split and they walked from one side to the other and when they got to the other side of the other bank of the Nile, of the, uh, of the, of the Yamsev, excuse me, so then the water crashed back down on the Mitzvah. That's not what happened. The Jewish people went into the water, started to turn, turned back around and came out on the exact same side. They did like a, like a rainbow. And the Mitzvah followed them in and it was like a trap kilo, and then the water fell, and the Jewish people exited on the exact same side. Why did Hashem do that? So Tosus doesn't say why they did that. Tosus doesn't say why Hashem did that. It has to do with the fact that Hashem wanted them to go around in a certain direction, perhaps, geographically. But on a deeper level, Hashem wanted the Jewish people to come back on the exact same side because He wanted them to see the exact location where they were before, but with different eyes, with new eyes. If I take you to the other side, you'll think, oh, it's because we're further away from Mitzrayim now. It's not about being further away from Mitzrayim. It's about seeing with the exact same thing, but seeing it with different eyes. It's about returning to the same space you were in before, but having a completely new perspective. Recognizing that everything that I had seen until now, was not, there was nothing bad about it. It was just my, my, my eyesight was off. I was scared of something, or I saw something, or I looked at myself or I looked at the world in a certain way where I, I wasn't seeing right. 
the world that we live in and the world that big tzaddikim are living in, we're getting there, we're also big tzaddikim, but the world that, that tzaddikim, tzaddikim yesod olam live in is the same world. We live in the same exact world. We live in the same world that Adam and Chava lived in. Ah, but the Ramchal says that after eating from the Eitzadas, the world and man completely drastically changed. It's a perspective. We live in the exact same world that Adam and Chava lived in before they ate from the Eitzadas. We live in the exact same world as the greatest tzaddik who right now is Davuk Tashem in a way that we can only imagine, we can only hope to one day imagine. Redemption means being able to cross through the Amsuf and to release, to just let go of whatever it is that we're holding on to so tight, to let go of that, so that we can start to see the world in a way of Melech Mitzrayim is over there. That's his Melech Mitzrayim. He has no hold over me. There's no sway over me. And once the Jewish people do that, so then spontaneously they break into song. They spontaneously, like I spoke a little bit about on Monday night, when I was talking about the Indian of the contrast between Golos and Geula, that the Golos in Parsha's Vayigash Vayechi, where the Parsha is Nistumu, a name of Liban Shal Yisrael, and so the, the letters of the Torah themselves crunch together, and there's no white space, it's all instructions about exactly what I'm supposed to do. All of a sudden, by Kriyas Yamsuf, like the Svas says, by Kriyas Yamsuf, just like the Jewish people are coming out and we're coming into a place where we can just like let go a little bit. We're able to let go of the fear of being controlled by something outside. And so the Torah itself expands and there's all this white space. Because for the first time, we've let go of the paro inside of us and we can trust ourselves, we can trust our instinct. Like Rav Kuk wrote in the beginning of the Sefer Oros, a Jew cannot compare, a Jew cannot compare the way that they can trust themselves, the way that they can trust their imagination and they can trust their dreams, the way that they could trust their instinct when they're breathing the air of Eretz Yisrael. And by the way, Rav Kook says that those who yearn for Eretz Yisrael who are not in Eretz Yisrael, wherever a person finds himself in the world right now, if they let out, if they exhale and they let out a sigh, I was one time driving with my Rebbe with Rav Moshe Weinberger somewhere, and I asked him, I said, Rebbe, why, why do you live here? Why do you live? You know, I know how much he loves Eretz Yisrael. Not that there's anything, you know, I, I know how much he loves Eretz Yisrael. I said, why do you, why do you live in, in New York? And he let out a sigh that was like from the, from the seven days of creation. You know, he was waiting to let, the, let out this sigh. And I won't tell you exactly what he said, but he let out a sigh and then he said something. But when a Jew lets out that kind of sigh, and you could be in Eretz Yisrael and you could let out such a sigh that, oh, I want to be in Eretz Yisrael, I really want to be in Eretz Yisrael. Because I could have the same eyes and I could be seeing things completely wrong. When a Jew lets out a sigh and says, Oh, I wish I was. I wish I could be connected to Eretz Yisrael. I wish I was shaykh to Eretz Yisrael in the deepest way. So, if Cook says when you breathe in, that breath that you breathe in afterwards is a breath of Eretz Yisrael air. and that clarifies the mind. You can't trust yourself and your imagination and your dreams and your fantasies in the way that you can inside of Eretz Yisrael, or when you're breathing the air of a yearning for Eretz Yisrael. Like I've mentioned so many times, Rabbi Nachman explained, Eretz Yisrael means Eretz Yisrael is a lashon of. Eretz Yisrael, Ani Rotzeh, Eretz, right? Like an Aleph before is, I, I want, I will, I'm running even. Eretz, I'm running to be a Jew. And when a person lets out that breath and says, ah, oh, I wish, then, then when they breathe that next breath in, then 
there's a certain avir of Eretz Yisrael that hits them, whether they're in New York City, or whether they're in Yerushalayim, or whether they're in Washington University, or wherever they find themselves in the world. Every single person, wherever they find themselves in the world, when they breathe in the air of Eretz Yisrael, they can begin to trust themselves, and they can begin to say, they, can be, they feel the cleanliness of this, of this avir of Eretz Yisrael, which is machkim. So there's two steps to the, there's two steps to the Geula. Shem Yishmuel says that in order for Geula to take place, in order for Geula to take place, Yitzias Mitzrayim, nachon? That's what it's called, Yitzias Mitzrayim? So anybody who ever learned the laws of Shabbos knows that in the laws of Shabbos, in order to do an act of Hotza'ah, Hotza Midaraisa demands two different things. You need to do an Akira. You need to lift up. You need to lift up the object from the table, Bonagir. It's the resting on the table. I lift it up, and then I walk outside from Rosh Hashayachat Rosh Hashayachat, and then I stop moving, or I put it down. That's called the Hanacha. That's called placing it down. So, for example, if I am... Uh, walking with a friend of mine and my friend is holding this book and they pass the book to me while the two of us are walking and then I walk outside and I stop moving. Or alternatively, he picks up the object and puts it through the... Right, like the Mishnah is described in the beginning of Masech Shabbos. He puts the Sefer through the door after he picked it up from the inside and then he passes it into my hand in the Rosh Rabbim, and then I take it and I do the Hanacha. So then he did the Akira, I did the Anach, it's not really, a, it's not Hotzami Daraisa. So the Shemi Shmuel says, if this is called Yitzias Mitzrayim, then there's needs, then the, then the Geula is not complete until there's an Akira and a Hanacha. The Akira takes place in Parshas B'Shalach. The Jewish people uproot themselves from Mitzrayim. But until the Jewish people go and, are, and have a Hanacha in Eretz Yisrael, until they've rested and they've found their place in Eretz Yisrael, then the Geula is not complete, says the Shemi Shmuel. Because it's only half a Yitziah. Hotzah demands an Akira and a Hanacha. And until the Jewish people are placed firmly in Eretz Yisrael, there's not a proper Hanacha. So this is what the Sasamis means when he says that when the, when the Jewish people are passing through the Yamsuf, there's a lot more white space. Why could there be white space? Because you could trust yourself more. You don't need as much instruction from the Torah. Chas Vashem, we can't do anything other than the Torah. And so we never have just blank white space. But by a place of geula, by a place of just like the difference, like I spoke about Monday night, the difference between an Eved and a Melech is that the Eved needs to be told every exact thing that the Melech wants. But a son knows what the father wants. It doesn't have to be told so much. He, told, he tells him a little bit. And so by the Shira Sayyam, there's a little bit of white, there's a little bit of black letters, and there's a lot of white space, because just a little look, if you have two people who are so close to each other, you could, sometimes you can just do it with your eyes. You can just look at the person and they know exactly what you need, exactly what you want. And that's the Avir the Eretz Yisrael, which is beginning to come into the world, but is not complete until the Jewish people actually enter into Eretz Yisrael. Once the Jewish people enter into Eretz Yisrael, so then they begin to breathe that air of, of Eretz Yisrael. They can begin to trust their instincts. Hashem should help us.
is an outer negin. Doesn't. Uh... <coughs> I have a, a student, a friend, who always asks me to play this Pashas Bashalach, and I know that he listens to these. And he was most nefesh for the Jewish people, so how could I say no? Words actually come from the Gemara. The Gemara talks about Nachshon ben Aminadav jumping into the Amsaf. And the Gemara says that until Nachshon ben Aminadav got up to his nose, until he got up to his nose, so the sea wasn't ready to split. And once he was willing to use Mamish, almost willing to go to a place where there's no oxygen, so the sea split for him. And the Jewish people were able to go through because of that mysterious nefesh.
ישראל הלכו ביבשו בסוך הים, והמים להם חומה מימינם ומשמאלם. חז"ל פוינט אאוט, בני ישראל were walking through the ים, והמים להם חומה. The water was for them a wall. חז"ל say that the word חומה is normally spelled חף וו מ"ה, חומה. But here, The word Choma is spelled Ches Mem Hei, which can also be read as Chema, as wrath, as anger. The water was for them a Choma, it was a Chema. The waters were angry. The waters were angry. Why were the waters angry? So Chazal say that the waters were angry because either <coughs> at the last minute, the very, very last people to leave Mitzrayim, after all the Jews had already left, there were two Chavra who weren't sure if they wanted to leave. They thought maybe they wanted to stay. Dasan and Aviram. And so they were way in the back. They were the last two people. And after the Jewish people already crossed through the Amsof, So the waters were choma, they were chema. They were filled with wrath, saying that these two don't deserve to leave. Alternatively, the entire shevet of Dan was coming through the Amsof. Could you imagine such a thing? They were walking through the Amsof, still with idols in their possession, hidden in their backpacks. Still, still had idols in their backpacks. And so these are the people who, as we were just speaking a moment ago, if the Kriyas Yamsuf is that level of Pneumius HaTorah, that level of the depth of Torah that is going to be revealed, that somehow it didn't even touch these people yet. Arizal says that the final generation, the Ikvus of the Meshicha, which we are fortunate to call ourselves part of, This final generation, what the Lubavitcher Rebbe referred to as the last generation of the exile, the first generation of the redemption. So the Arizal says that the neshamas of everybody, regardless of your Kohen, Levi, Yisrael, it doesn't matter, on a certain level, there's an aspect of the Jewish people in this final generation that's an aspect of Shevet Dan. That we somehow come and are attached to this Indian of Shevet Dan. People are holding on to, on the one hand, the most, like Rav Kook described, in the Maimar Hador, that on the one hand, we are the most remarkable generation that has ever lived. 
And at the same time, we're still holding on to our idols, afraid to let go. And even though there's such unbelievable access to Torah and to Panimis Torah, like, like my Rebbe Rav Asher Weiss, my Rebbe Halavai, I should be able to call him my Rebbe, like a, a, someone who I admire very greatly, Rav Asher Weiss, and I likes to say that in our generation, it's never been easier to be a Talmud Chacham and it's never been harder to want to be a Talmud Chacham. We have every tool in the world, every podcast on every page of Dafyomi in every language. This one's focusing on more Agarita, this one's focusing more on Halacha, this one's focusing on the Tosasin, this one's focusing... You have everything in the world. It's never been easier to be a Talmud Chacham. It's never been harder to want to be a Talmud Chacham because there's so many distractions and at the end, Shevet Dan, like Rav Kook writes in Maimar Hadur, Chazal say Mashiach is going to come either in a generation which is Kulo Chayev, which is completely guilty, and like if Hashem doesn't redeem us, then we'll just disappear, or in a generation which is completely Zakai, completely meritorious. And Rav Kook wrote in Maimar Hadur, he said, and I don't know how we did it, but somehow we managed to be both at the same time. We're Kulo Chayev and Kulo Zakai. We're like the most unbelievable generation. Look around at the people who are sitting here. After thousands of years of exile, we're still trucking along and we're doing beautifully. And at the same time, there's an aching pain that all of us feel, I'm sure, if we're being honest with ourselves, that we feel like we don't hold a candle to the previous generations. And somehow, even though we don't hold the candle to the previous generations, it's dafka because of the difficulty of the challenge that we're in right now. That Hashem loves every single effort that we make. And so the mayim was lahem choma chema for these people who are still coming through. And yet, and yet, even though the water was chema and wanted to collapse on these people, Hashem said, Mm-mm. No. These people are healthy and they're alive. They might look like there's some problem, but they're healthy and they're alive. In fact, like Rav Tzadok writes, we'll speak more about this later, like later, later. Rav Tzadok, note to self, Rav Tzadok says that every time the Beis HaMikdash needs to be built, there need to be two different forces that join together in order to build the Beis HaMikdash. So you have Betzalel, who's from Shevet Yehuda, the Gemara says again in Megillah, Hadranach Museches Megillah, the Gemara in Megillah says that anybody, why is Mordechai called Mordechai HaYehudi? He was from the tribe of Binyamin. So the Gemara says because anybody who is mevatel in their heart, anyone who nullifies and who uh, discredits Avodazara is called a Yehudi. A Yehudi means someone who doesn't bow to Avodazara, who doesn't give any Credence to Avodah Zarah. So Mordechai is called Mordechai Yehudi, even though he's from Sheva Binyamin. So you need someone from Sheva Yehuda, which means someone who is building a house for Hashem. So it needs to be a person who is completely removed from this place of Avodah Zarah. And at the same time, and this is the part that's more startling, and this is what Ertzadok writes, that for every time there's a B'tzala, there needs to be an O'aliyav. There needs to be someone from Sheva Dan. If there's a Shlomo Melech that's building from Shevet Yehuda, the Beis HaMikdash, there needs to be someone from Shevet Dan, who's responsible, Chiram, there needs to be someone who's responsible for collecting all the different materials from Shevet Dan. Why? Because Yehuda might say, okay, we're going to build a house for Hashem because Hashem Echad, and we're going to, we need to build 
a, a place that's a, a representation of Hashem's mission in the world, and we have to build a place where people who believe in one God and the one God of Abraham can come into and to center around this building and this place. But then there comes a counter voice. There comes a counter voice that says, you are going to build a house for God? So arrogant. You think you could build a house for God? And it's not just about building the Bishamikdash. You wake up in the morning and you're going to wash your hands in the TLC Daim. Or you're going to put on tzitzis or tefillin. Or you're going to try to daven a little. Or you're going to light Shabbos candles before Shabbos. And your hands, for a second, tremble and say, you're going to light Shabbos candles? Who do you think you are? Do you know what it is to light Shabbos candles? Do you know what it is to say, Asher Kedishanu B'mitzvosa that Hashem sanctified us? That you're sanctified by the creator of the world? Who do you think you are lighting Shabbos candles? And so, you need someone from Shevet Dan. What's the root of idolatry? The root of idolatry is ani. See, there's two ways to look at the world. One way to look at the world is that man is made with Selim Elokim. That man is made in a shadow, a miniature, a diminutive version of the Tzelem Elokim, not has any physical representation, but we're somehow a reflection. If you look carefully at a Jew, and if you look very carefully at any human being, you could see that there's a spark of, of Tzelem Elokim. You could see there's a spark of divinity in, in, in any person. But idolatry means to say that the gods are made in our image. They have petty concerns just like us, and they need to eat just like us, and they fight with each other, and they steal each other's wives, and they, they don't want you know, fire to be... Right? Isn't it Gavaldic that Chazal say that Hashem gave fire to Adam on Moshe Shabbat because he saw that Adam was... Because Hashem is rooting for us. But in like, the Greek uh, mythology, like, man has to go and steal fire from the gods. Because just like I don't want someone to steal my fire, so then the gods must also not want someone to do that. Idolatry is rooted in trying to create them in the image of me. Because idolatry is all here. The sanctification of idolatry, the sanctification of idolatry is to say, I can do something. Hashem wants me to partner with Him. If I take this notion that it's eno novado, so then I just sit there <coughs> petrified to do, any, to do anything. I'm going to build a base of Mikdash for Hashem. Yehuda says, I could, I could possibly build a base of Mikdash for Hashem. One of the reasons David Melech wasn't able to do it is because he didn't have someone from Shevet Dan to go along with him. But once you have someone from Shevet Dan who says, I could also do it, or if Tzadok says, you need that little bit of idolatry to say, I could do something for Hashem. Which on the surface is a very silly thing to say. But at the same time, is the Ratzon Hashem he wants us to do. Why he wants us to do, okay. But he wants us to do it for him. Avoda Tzarech Gavoa. This unbelievable idea that somehow our Avoda is Letzarech Gavoa. So I'll end because we we're getting close to the end here. But There's a Torah from... Rav Shimshin Rafal Hirsch. <coughs> it's found, it's printed in the Sefer Iyun uh, Tefillah from Rav Schwab. Rav Schwab's uh, book on Tefillah. And if I'm not making a mistake, I believe the story goes that the Ksav Sofer, the son of the Chassam Sofer, one of the great giants of Hungarian Jewry, 
So the Ksav Sofer once bumped into one of the Talmidim of Rav Shemshon Rafal Hirsch, and he said to him, tell me, tell me your Rebbe's Mahalach, because the Ksav Sofer and Rav Shemshon Rafal Hirsch, they were from different yeshivas, if you understand what I'm saying. Shemesh Rafal Hirsch was, a, was much more accepting of the modern sensibilities and the trends that were happening and trying to do it in a way where he was <coughs> reining it in. And Chassam Sofer was Chadash Asr in Torah and really like, let's build the walls higher and make sure that we separate ourselves from the rest of the world. So the Chassam Sofer, that's one of the Talmidim of Shemesh Rafal because they, they respected each other as tzaddikim. They were, he said, what was, what was your Rebbe's like, main teaching? What was his teaching? This is what he said. He said, this was Rav Hirsch's main teaching. Hirsch's main teaching is that if you look at Adon Olam, and I bless you that every day you say Adon Olam, you think about this for the rest of your life. Whenever you say Adon Olam, Hirsch says, Adon Olam Hashem Malach B'Terem Kol Hashem was Hashem before there was anything else created. B'Terem Kol Nivra, before anything else was Yetzir Nivra. Before any other creation was, was made by God. Awesome, Nora. Crazy. After everything is already finished, the world's narrative is completed, all there will be is just Hashem. And after everything is kaloi, is destroyed, is, is done away with, just he alone will be the servant. He alone will be the king. And through the first part of Adon Olam, the whole first part of Adon Olam is all this language of Hashem is so great. I have no business with Hashem. Hashem doesn't need me. Hashem is, is beyond time and space. Hashem is Melech Malchei Amlachim. He was before, He will be afterwards. And then, halfway through, Adon Olam Hashem Melech 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 who's so beyond, who should have nothing to do with me, who should have no desire for me to build a house for him and everything that that entails in terms of what it means to build a house for Hashem in, in this world, to make your life into a mini Beis HaMikdash, that Hashem wants to dwell in us, not just in a building. You're going to become a Beis HaMikdash for Hashem? Yeah, right. Hashem is Adon Alom Hashem Alach B'Tarim Kor Yitzin Hashem is so big. But then we turn around, says Rav and we say, V'hu Keli, He is my God, with a Yud at the end. He's my personal God. Chai Goali. Every single word ends with a yud. He is my God. He is my cup. He is my banner. He is my savior. He is my everything. That God who should have no desire to have anything to do with me wants, wants to be part of my life. Is interested in me. So the first part of Adon Olam is Yehuda. And the second part of Adon Olam is Dan. And here, by this Indian, by the Kriyas Yamsuf, Hashem is proving it to us. He's saying, you see the idolaters who are passing through, that the wall is saying, that the, the Mayim was lahem choma, chema, that the water wanted to crush them and said, there's no place for this. Hashem is saying that if you don't understand that I'm interested, like the Baal Shem Tov used to say, and with this we really end, the Baal Shem Tov used to say, if I would love the greatest tzaddik, the way Hashem loves the greatest rasha, my love of the tzaddikim would be, pff. Hashem's love for the greatest rasha, is so profound, he wants so much for our good. And so therefore Hashem says to the water, give it another few seconds. The Jewish people are going to make it to the end. Even Shevet Dan, even Dasan Laviram are going to make it to the end. They're going to cross the finish line. And not only are they going to cross the finish line, but Dafka they're going to cross the finish line. 
שנזכה. שנזכה. Good job, good job.